1: 22, 20, and 21. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Then the Bible ends with these words, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.
0: Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, senior pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis
1: Jesus was dead. Hope was lost. The future was uncertain. It's not a surprise that Jesus was dead. Because that's what Scripture tells us. In fact, Jesus told us He was going to die. And then in John chapter 19, we're told that Jesus did die. We know that. There was a custom among the Roman soldiers. When people were being crucified in order to expedite, to expediate the crucifixion, near the end of their life, they would break their legs just so the pain, the suffering would cause death to come quicker. In John 19, it says that Pilate ordered the soldiers to go and to break the legs of all those on the cross the day that Jesus was crucified. And it says when they came to Jesus, they didn't need to break his legs because he was already dead. But we know and we celebrate today that that's not the end of the story. We know that that was just a setback. And we know that Scripture teaches that every setback is a setup for a comeback. Comeback. And today we're going to celebrate the greatest comeback. We've been looking at comeback stories in our church, and there's a lot of them in Scripture. Let me just give you a few. David, for example, he had a comeback from a time of disobedience. Elijah, he had a comeback from a season of depression. We had James and John. They had comebacks from dumb decisions in their life. And then, of, there, of course, there's Peter, who came back even after denying the Christ. I love a good comeback story. She was 22 years old, Ramona Pearson. All of her future was ahead of her, a brilliant academician. She was a mathematician. She had a long way to go. One day she put her dog on her leash as she was leashing up her dog. A man in a bar was taking his final drink. Their lives converged on the road when that drunk driver hit her. Her life was spared, but it was changed forever. The physical setback would seem like too much for any human. 104 broken bones, a variety of brain trauma, punctured holes in her lungs, month after month, and she lay there in a hospital, comatose. Most assumed she would never wake up. But after 18 months, she came back. She weighed 64 pounds, metal bones all throughout her body, completely blind. But one thing surprised everyone. It appeared that she was still a mathematical genius. She would eventually end up in a nursing home. That's the only thing they could figure out to do with her. At 23 years of age now, surrounded by senior citizens who had a new project, a new friend. They loved on her. They gave her a makeover. They taught her to play chess and checkers and cards. They did crossword puzzles with her, and she came back. She wasn't deterred by the circumstances. She took rock climbing and skiing. She qualified for the Paralympics and even the Olympic team for cycling. But she didn't stop there. She went back to school. She got a master's in education and a Ph.D. in neuroscience. And through continued therapy, she came back, and she made a difference in the military She developed an MRI machine that the military used to develop operations on soldiers with head wounds. And then she created a a startup company that she was able to sell before she created another one to educate other people. And now her story is motivating millions, just like it motivates you and me. That's what comeback stories do. That's why several years ago, Sports Illustrator did a whole segment on comeback stories, some of the best in sports. Of course, they talked about Muhammad Ali. Of course, they reminded us of the U.S. hockey team. We've all got our comeback stories. Some of us can remember the Bad News Bears comeback story in sports. But do you know what Sports Illustrated said was the greatest comeback of all time? Sports Illustrated said the greatest comeback of all time was Jesus Christ. Because of the death, the burial, the crucifixion of Jesus, the fact that he came back, the fact that people celebrate his life today, that, they said, is the greatest comeback. Here's my question for you. Do you have a comeback story? Do you have that recognition that you're not what you used to be? Maybe you'd say, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be but I'm not what I used to be. That's a comeback story. Do you need a comeback story? Has life kind of left you by the side? Has this crazy year that we've endured, has it been a little too much for you? Do you need a comeback? I want to pray once more and ask God to write some comeback stories right now. So Father, in the name of Jesus, that's our simple prayer. Do what only you can do giving us what we don't have, teaching us what we don't know, making us what we've not yet become because we want to be different. We want to come back for your glory. Lord, there are people here today that needs to come back from broken marriages. There are people here today that need to come back spiritually. There are people here today that need to come back because addiction has gripped their life. There are people here today that need to come back because they're in deep and dark depression. Oh, God, I thank you that the hope of the resurrection gives us hope for every comeback. So, Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, the words I say and even my thoughts, oh, may they be pleasing to you so that the result would be what I've experienced. Redemption. You're our redeemer. You reconcile us with God. You give us hope no matter what we face. Oh, God, work in this place today. And most of all, Lord, over these seats that's been prayed for on three different campuses even people sitting in their homes? Would you call somebody to you, Jesus? Would you choose someone for a comeback today? May eternity be impacted as someone is saved and believes in the name of the Son of God. And I thank you for this, Lord, as I ask this in your name. Jesus, amen. John chapter 20. I want us to begin reading in verse 1. I just want to walk you through this chapter that tells what took place after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. We're not even to the end of that sentence, but I need to stop and make sure you understand who Mary Magdalene is. This is significance. This is Mary of Magdala. Magdala is a place you can still visit today. If you visit Israel, I'd love to go with you sometime. In Magdala, you see the ruins of that ancient place where Mary, this close friend of Jesus, came from. But this is what the Bible also tells us about Mary. Mary is a woman who once had seven demons in her life. She's a woman that many presume was a prostitute. That was common in Magdala in that day. it's thought that maybe that was part of Mary's background. That just tells us on the outset of the story, nobody's too far for a comeback. You may be here at the invitation of your friend or your spouse or a family member, and you think, man, if the people in this room, if that pastor knew what I've done... How would they look at me? The reality is this, it doesn't matter what anyone else knows because God knows everything about you and he wants to give you a comeback. Nobody's too far gone for a comeback. Now Mary's one of the closest followers of Jesus and she's come to the tomb to mourn the loss of her friend and it then says, while it is still dark, she came before sunrise, it was still dark, but here's what I know, I'm so glad I have a God who works in the dark. And some of you are facing the dark moments of life. It's a dark time for you in your marriage. It's a dark time for you at your job. It's a dark time for you in your physical health. It's a dark time for you spiritually. But our God specializes in working in the darkness. God's still working even in the dark. Then it says, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, you need to understand this. I've been to the garden tomb. And the garden tomb is in the cave in, in the side of a hill. And so the stone that it talks about was literally a big boulder that would cover the entrance to the tomb. The Bible says that Jesus was buried in a place like this. He was laid really on a, a stone bed, so to speak, after his death inside the tomb. And then the stone was there. But when Mary shows up, while it was still dark, the stone was gone. She wondered who moved the stone. The Bible, Matthew tells us who moves the stone. It says the Lord's angels move the stone because God is a sovereign God. That's what he does. He's working even when you don't see him working. He's moving even when you don't see him moving. His presence is evident all around you even when you don't sense his presence. For Mary, she only had one option in mind. Somebody had stolen the body because she assumed Jesus was still dead. Nobody listened to what Jesus had been saying for three years. I'm going to die. I'm coming back. I'm going to die. I'm coming back. I read it from several of the Gospels, even this morning. Jesus told us again and again. He told the disciples again and again. Nobody listened. We have that same problem today, don't we? His death wasn't in question. We know he was dead. But God was already at work in the dark. friend from New Song, the founder of New Song, Eddie Carswell. He wrote a song many years ago that deeply impacted my life in moments of darkness. When I don't see God at work, he says, our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you don't see Him, remember, you're never alone. He sees the master plan. He holds our future in His hand. So don't live as those who have no hope. Our hope is found in Him. God is too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Mary had a trust his heart moment, but she was so overwhelmed by what she thought was supposed to be that she didn't see what God's doing. And oh, I hope you get that this Easter morning because that's that's a snag on many of our lives. We've got in our, in our eyes these preconceived ideas and these misconceptions of what God is supposed to be, and we don't see who he is. Don't let your preconceptions about Jesus keep you from seeing what God is doing all around you. See him for who he is. We made it to verse 2. Look what it says. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's John isn't it funny that he refers to himself in the third person, but he points out, I'm the one that Jesus loved. <laughs> and she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid them. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. Hey, don't miss this. Peter is running to Jesus. Peter, who denied him three times. Peter, who felt worthless. Peter, who felt like there's no hope. He's, he's running See what's going on to Jesus. Some of you need to run to Jesus today. You came in at a guilty distance, just like Peter. I'm just telling you, run to Jesus. But the other disciple outran Peter. John gives us that little footnote. Wasn't that nice? We both ran, but by the way, I won. (laughs) And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And there I'm reminded that John glanced when he should have gazed and some of us do that we open our bibles and we glance at it we take a moment in prayer and we glance at it we come to church and we glance at it when we should be gazing and say god what are you up to so john glanced in and he turned around then simon peter came following him, he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, this should have awakened them. That should have been the moment where they realized, oh, wow, something special's going on. Now, why? Because they were with Jesus when Jesus was with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You remember his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the two sisters and their brother? And Lazarus died, and and Jesus said, don't worry, I'm coming. But he waited several days, and then he shows up. And when he shows up, he says to, to the ladies, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We've got to ask if we believe that. That's what this day is about. Do I really believe the resurrection? Do I believe it makes a difference for me? It did for Lazarus because Jesus on that day said, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible says in John eleven forty four, the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, listen to this, unbind him and let him go. Now, why am I telling you that? The disciples should have remembered that. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he had been dressed like a mummy. His torso had been wrapped, his arms had been wrapped, and then separately his head had been wrapped. And so Jesus raises him from the dead. He stands up. Can you imagine? He's like, well, can breathe? Somebody get this off my head. I can't move. Somebody. So Jesus says, take all the cloths off of him." So they're ripping. There's linen cloth everywhere. Not so when they come to Jesus' tomb. When they come to Jesus' tomb, the cloths are just laying there where the body was, neatly. And the head wrap, well, it was all folded neatly. (laughs) If they would have been thinking, if they would have not been filled with their own preconceived ideas with what they thought was going to happen, they would have realized Jesus had done what he said he was going to do. But they didn't. We know that because in verse 8 it says the other disciples who had reached the tomb first went in and he saw and he believed. Now, I don't believe it's saying that John believed and understood. I think he realized, oh, yeah, he's not here. He's definitely not here. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And that's what a lot of us do. We come into the presence of God and we have the ability to have our lives changed forever. But we make a choice. We turn around and go back our own way. We leave what takes place in church, in our quiet time, a concert, wherever it is that God's speaking to us. We leave it like we're leaving a crumpled bulletin on a seat. And we go back to our lives And that just tells me you can be surrounded by the miraculous and still choose the mundane. God's at work around you. Don't get stuck in the weeds. Don't miss the majesty of what God wants to do in your life. This moment, this opportunity that we get to live in, that he wants to use you for his glory, don't get caught up in the mundane and miss the miraculous that he wants to work in your life. Look to Jesus. Look for Jesus. That's why Jesus came back, so that you could look to him. The writer of Hebrews makes that clear when he describes what Jesus endured on the cross. He said, we do this, we keep on, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Say the champion. champion. He is the champion. Because when he died on the cross, when he was buried, when he rose from the grave, he defeated sin, he defeated death, he conquered anything that could conquer you, and that means that you are more than conquerors. We look to the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. He disregarded the shame. And now he's seated at the place of honor with his God. That's who Jesus is. And that leads me to what I really want you to understand. Jesus came back so that he could come to you. You thought you were coming to church today. You you thought you were coming to this place. But I believe... Jesus is coming to you. That's why he came back. And in this chapter, we see how he comes to several different people, and we see the difference it makes. Watch says Mary, it says, stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Remember, she was looking for Jesus where she thought he was supposed to be rather than where he told her he would be. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, and one hand, one in the hand and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, Why are you weeping? Now, this part, it gets me for several reasons. Number one, we usually see angels standing, and usually the first thing they say is, time out, don't be afraid. Why do they say, don't be afraid? Well, if you saw one of those big angels standing, you and me, we would be terrified. So the angels always say, don't be afraid, but these angels were just sitting. They were waiting for this God moment. And I don't understand how this works. I don't want you to get caught up in this, but I believe the Bible. And the Bible says we live in a spiritual realm where angels and demons are at work even in this place. And I believe there are angels all around us today waiting for the God moment that's about to happen when Jesus comes to you. I believe that's how it works. So then you have this odd question. They say, why are you weeping? I I just visited with a man on Friday. He He had just come from his wife's grave. He went to visit her at the grave on Good Friday. That's a challenging time usually, isn't it? It would have been a difficult time for Mary. That's a dumb question. Why are you weeping? she shows some restraint that she doesn't say, what do you mean, why am I weeping? My friend died. I'm sad. I'm discouraged. But she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him having said this, she turned around. Say this with me. Say, she turned around. That's what takes place when you turn to Jesus. It's a turnaround. The Bible calls it repentance. You were facing this way. But something, when God came to you, made you say, I need to turn around. And you turn a different direction, and you begin to see a different way, and your mind begins to think a a different way, and your will begins to act a different way. She turned around, and she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you, whom are you seeking? She's probably tired of people asking her why she's crying at the cemetery. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, If you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. There's something about the way you call a person's name. My eight-year-old little precious daughter was born blind. Her ears are real sensitive. (laughs) Even this morning, I had to raise my voice a little bit. And she came to me and she said, Dad, I prefer calm. (laughs) I said, me too, so shape up. (laughs) I I believe it was in a tender way that Jesus spoke when he said, Mary. She recognized that voice. This is the voice of the one that had caused the demons to come out of her. This is the one that had accepted her. This is the one she had followed for three years. And he calls her name. And she says, oh, Rabboni. In this language, there's about three different words that are similarly translated rabbi, teacher. But this one specifically means master, teacher. You're the Lord. I need you to understand something. That's not the end of the story. See, I've read the back of the book. The story continues, and the story is continuing in your life. This whole book is all about one hero. All those people's names that I've mentioned, they're no more the hero of this book than you're the hero of your life. There's only one hero And I want you to tell you something. We've been reading the Bible through in our church this week. We've read every word of Scripture except these last two verses. I just want to read them to you from beginning to end. Here's what it says Revelation 22 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Say that with me. Say, Come, Lord Jesus. Say it again. Say, Come, Lord Jesus. Then the Bible ends with these words, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support.